Morning, everyone. It is great to be with you again. Um, we're going to be continuing today with our journey through the book of Acts, following Paul on his travels um, and his missionary journeys, just to see what God did on the way as he stops at different places. And today we're going to be going to a small port city called Troas. So if you would, we're going to dive straight into the text in uh, Acts 20, 6 to 12. Um, if you want to open up your Bibles um, or the, the words will come up on the screen, just follow with me here. 6 says, we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days, then jumping on to seven. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked even longer. And, became, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him up in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and they were not a little comforted. I remember the uh, first time my life was touched by death. I was 16. It was summertime and I didn't have a care in the world. Death was so far from my mind. It was something that happened to older people or in faraway places, not at my age in the place where I lived. But one evening I remember that in the valley where I lived, I looked out the window and I saw some helicopters flying low for quite a long period of time on the other side of the valley. And then my mum came home later that evening and said, something's happened, the roads are all blocked off and the, the whole town is backed up with cars. You can't get through the main road. Then later on in the evening, the text messages and the phone calls started going round that three boys who were the year above me in school had been in a, a car crash as their car had spun off the road. The driver had lost control. And then the news came in the next day that one of the young men in this car had died as a result of the crash. I didn't know him well, but it was a fairly small community that I grew up in and a number of my close friends had grown up with him and would call him their best friend. And in the months that followed this event, uh, the whole community was just devastated by it. There was a response of a cold shock and sadness and despair. I mean, some of his closest friends who I know really well never really got over this death and have been on antidepressants since. Death in this moment for me came out of the blue. It broke into my world like a thief in the night. It robbed a young life in a final and unchanging way. It had left its mark that could never be scrubbed off. And for the first time in my life, the reality that death could happen at any point hit home. At any moment, it could break into my life. 
The truth is my experience here is not uncommon. I bet actually many, many of you listening will have a, a similar sad experience. Because for every one of us, no matter how well things are going, there are always moments in this life where death painfully breaks in and reminds us that nothing lasts. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how smart you are, how famous, how busy, how successful you are. Ultimately, we are all, as James 4.14 says, a mist that appears just for a little while and then vanishes. One day, the death will vanish us and everyone we know from this world. And there are times in our lives where you just can't distract yourself from that reality. And in these times, when we're forced to think about death, it can cause a whole raft of different responses in us. I mean, some responses to death and this vanishing can be humorous. Like the comedian, he said, when I die, I want to die like my grandfather did, peacefully in his sleep not like the other passengers in his car. Or Woody Allen, who famously said, it's not that I'm afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. I mean, other responses to death can be thought-provoking, making us reflect on the shortness of our lives and the quality of how we are living this brief, brief gift of life. Like Benjamin Franklin, who said, I have known many a man who has died at 25, but not been buried until they were 75. Death can make us question, are we living life well? And for others, the response can be more like my response when death broke in as a 16-year-old lad. Deep sadness and helplessness and fear when faced with the reality of it. This young man had gone his story had a full stop in it. No more words would come from his mouth. He would never make anything else with his hands. And every hope his parents held for what he would become was finished. And there was nothing anyone could do about it, as far as I was concerned. Death had won. At the heart of the passage that we've just read this morning in Troas, this is one of those times when death unexpectedly breaks into the lives of a small community and cannot be ignored. As the story here starts, Paul and his companions are passing through this city for a third time. Paul has never managed to stop here for any length of time before, even though the Bible documents him visiting Troas twice before. Where he'd stayed for years in other locations, preaching the gospel and doing wonderful deeds, he had just not given time to this location. So the church in Troas was a bit overlooked up until this point. But now here on this third visit, we see that he carves out a short seven-day stay with them. And we get a real taste of Paul's heart for this short stay. On the last night here, described in this passage, we see that he is so desperate not to shortchange this church again, that he has a meal with them, he breaks bread with them, and he speaks long into the night. 
to pass on as much as he can before he leaves in the morning, to encourage the young church that has sprung up here and pour everything he has anew into it in their short time together. I mean, this night, as the story starts, would have been so anticipated. It would have been one of the most precious nights in this young church, church's life as they got to spend time with the great apostle Paul, having the great truths of God imparted to them, hearing the stories of what God had done and preparing them for mission. Death would have been as far from their minds as this night kicked off as it was from my mind as a 16-year-old boy. But then suddenly, as we have read, this precious moment is shattered. Tragedy grips the evening. It's the same tragedy described here that the musician Eric Clapton faced, where his child also fell to his death from a high window, causing him to write those haunting lines of grief. Would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? I mean, this event is horrible described here, and that should not be overlooked. Verse 9 says, being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Just because a young man who, despite his best efforts to stay awake, moving over to an open window to get some fresh air in a hot room after a meal, cannot keep his eyes open. Just because he fell asleep, something that after a meal I do all the time. Anyone who knows me knows that I become rubbish company after a meal because I get such sleepy eyelids. Just because of this, death enters into this joyful meeting in an unexpected way. I just wonder for a minute, how would you have responded in this moment had you been sat there? Maybe if you'd been one of the men to carry this boy's body back up to the room, dead, would you have responded with nervous humour? Would it have brought you to fear suddenly about the vulnerability of your own life? Or would you have simply despaired at your helplessness and the sadness of the situation? An evening of great joy was just turned into an evening of mourning suddenly. If this had been a boy or a child in our church and I was leading the meeting, I think I would have just fallen down in the dust in grief. But thankfully, it wasn't me leading the meeting that night. It was Paul. And his response here is remarkable. It's amazing. And it's totally different to anything that actually I have ever encountered in life before. I've never seen a first-hand response to death like this. Verse 10 tells us, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him up in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. In Paul here, there is absolutely no hint of fear, of anxiety, of shock, of helplessness, of grief of despair or fear in response to death. None of that is present. Instead, we see a quiet, confident, deliberate, peaceful action take place. That 
just seems so out of context with what has just happened. We see an incredible fatherly love on display that saw him scoop the dead child up in his arms in an embrace. And we see a gentle overcoming power that pours new life into the body of the boy, which had been broken beyond repair. We see the finality of death broken in his actions. I want to just press pause for a moment. I mean, this is an incredible one-line moment in the Bible that, like so many things of the Bible, can just be passed over if we don't stop and take notes to what is actually being communicated to us here, to really consider what is going on. In this moment, in the dining room, in the living room of the house of these ordinary people of an overlooked port city that would have not been unlike Liverpool for its day, witness Paul respond to death with a loving action and an embrace that undid death. In this moment, the Bible makes the claim that there exists in this world a love that could and has beaten the power of death. That can be experienced. I mean, what an incredible, ridiculous, audacious claim that such a thing exists. And that there was a moment in history where people witnessed death being undone by love. But this is a claim that the Bible makes not once, but multiple times. In the Old Testament, 1 Kings 17, 21 to 23, the prophet Elijah raises a boy to life. In 2 Kings 4, 32 to 35, the prophet Elisha, who followed Elijah, did the same thing, raising a boy to life. In Mark, in the New Testament, 5, 36 to 46, Jesus raises Jairus's daughter to life from death. In Luke 7, 11 to 17, Jesus raises a widow's adult son to life from death. In John 11, 1 to 44, most famously, and where the crowd or people in the crowd protest that because he's been dead for three days already, he will smell when he's raised to life, Jesus raises his friend Lazarus to life from death. And in Acts 9, 36, 43, we start to see for the first time that the same power of raising the dead to life happens in the church as Peter raises a girl, Dorcas, to life. Although incredible, the Bible is very clear. It's not a debatable point, but a central claim of the Bible that there exists a love and a power that can overcome the finality of death in the world. And Paul in this moment, moment walked so confidently in this understanding that this love exists, that it completely changed his response to death here. Where did Paul's confidence come from? That meant he didn't respond like everybody else in the room 
Where did this power come from that brought a boy, that brought a boy back to life? Was Paul just like some kind of Marvel superhero? Was he born special? Did he have special powers of healing? Well, the answer to this question is also within the passage that we've just read. If you look at the passage again, I think you'll find it's no coincidence here that we're told in verse 7 and verse 11 that as he met with the church at Troas, they broke bread together. The act of breaking bread or taking communion is often just seen as a religious traditional practice that God doesn't like if we don't do it often enough. But in fact, it is far more than this. You see, every time we break bread, it is the full telling of the story of where the love that overcomes death came from. Every time it is done, it retells the story of what God did in history at the cross through Jesus. Just as the Passover meal in Judaism remembered the rescue that God did in Egypt for all who trusted in him, communion remembers and enacts how at this point in history at the cross, God overcame and rescued all who trusted in him from death in an unmatched and unmerited act of love. So as the bread is broken, and the glass of wine is raised, we're remembering that in history, Jesus on the cross, in an act of sheer love, did battle with death and all its causes and consequences on our behalf. That here in this moment, the great champion stepped out of the crowd, was raised up and fought the Goliath that we all cower against. That here on the cross, death inflicted on him everything that it had, every weapon in its arsenal. It broke his body, it shed his blood, it poured out his despair and separation and finality upon him. But here we find that in the end, death was totally found wanting against him. It was no match for the God-man Jesus Christ. He beat it completely in battle, took all that it had to offer upon himself, and once its sting was completely gone, was raised to life again in the power of God's spirit. Here at the cross, his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, and he overcame for us. Here, he embraced the broken, sinful world with a love that had never been known before that overcame death. Then as the act of communion moves on and the bread is eaten and the wine is drunk, we remember that God has given freely the spoils of the victory Jesus won at the cross to those who put their trust in him now.
For those who take God at his word and eat and drink it into his life, into their lives, he passes on his victory over death through his body broken in love to us. And he pours out the wine of his spirit, the new covenant, the new promise into our lives, bringing into our lives the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now. You see, communion, the breaking of bread that Paul was doing, is a picture of how death was completely defeated in the love of God at the cross for those who believe. And Paul's confident response in Troas was because he was living in the power of what breaking bread taught him. The reality that God, through Jesus, once and for all, had brought a love that overcame death into the world on our behalf and then poured out his spirit so we could live with the power of that love in our lives. Uh, And what we must know about this passage as we start to come to a close uh, was how this changed the people of Troas as he responded in light of the cross. We see that the love here that Paul trusts in and acts upon completely changes the outcome in this situation from one of tragedy to one of victory. In fact, the people here, rather than being left with loss and despair, are left with a very different sense of their encounter with death. One of being fortunate and one of being comforted. The name of the boy Eutychus who died literally means fortunate in Greek. This boy was so fortunate that he died in the arms of the love that overcame death. For him, death was no longer the end of his story, but the start of a rejoicing in the victory of God in his life. Although I bet you he never sat near a third story window again. And in the final line of the story, we read that the people present were greatly comforted. 12, in what I imagine is a massively understated line, were not a little comforted by what they had seen that night that death was truly defeated by Jesus's love and power. From this moment on and forever in Troas, death had lost its sting. The people knew there was no such thing as terminal for those who stood safe in the love and the victory of Jesus. From here on, death, even when it didn't result in instant healing, even when it involved the inevitable sadness and loss and grief that we have to face in this life, would have been underpinned with a formerly unknown comfort and sense of fortune. For Jesus had won the victory and resurrection life awaited those who died in his love. Let me just close up here. I don't know about you, but this was not the 2020 that I had planned. I planned to go on a couple of camping trips. I planned to go on a great church weekend away. I planned to go on a leadership course down in London through my other work. I was excited about the upcoming Alpha course and people meeting the wonderful love of God for the first time. 
I was not thinking about death and pandemics at all when I started New Year with my friends. But death has broken into 2020 unexpectedly. For many, quite literally, loved ones have gone. For some, they've been witnessing death regularly in their workplaces. I know that I've spoken to friends on the day that their parents have been taken from them in this time. For others, our ability to keep death far off and hidden in a drawer and pretend it's not there until later in life has been much harder to do in this time uh, as the toll of COVID-19 has taken its cost. Death is suddenly more present to us. I've personally spoken to many people as well who have uh, just been considering wills for the first time as a result of this. And this anxiety uh, about the fear and closeness of death has quite literally controlled the way we have lived as a society at this time. You know, death and tragedy, like it always does, has come and shaken our complacency right now, like it did in Troas. I wonder, I want to ask you a heart-searching question. How have you responded to death's break-in in this moment, in our time? Have you been terrified? Has fear gripped you? Have you been overwhelmed? Have you just been disheartened? Has nervous humour seen you through? Have you just busied yourself until it's all over? Have you reflected on your life and made promises to make changes, to live until you're 75, not just, just until you're 25? Or has the truth of the bread and wine truly perforated every part of your being, bringing confidence in death defeated and an overwhelming sense of being fortunate and deeply comforted even when the saddest of circumstances come? Have you understood, like Paul did, that death is not the unbeatable opponent anymore, but the broken old boxer in the corner who can no longer lift his hands to harm you. And that healing, either now or in eternity, is the only fate of those who stand firm on the rock of Jesus Christ. I've got two responses for you this morning. For the Christian, uh, God wants in this moment of history and life to do what he did for the church of Troas to drive the truth of death being defeated deeper into your being. As lockdown fades and the distractions of the world start again, don't rush past this moment. He wants to make us all, uh, like Paul, dwell in that confidence of what the cross accomplished. That when we vanish from this world, we appear in the next. In a moment, we're going to take communion as a church. We're going to retell the story again to ourselves, like we should every time we meet, of the love that God that defeated death. I, I want you, as you do this, to invite a fresh confidence by the power of the Spirit, like Paul had, in the one that defeated death on your behalf into your life. and begin to live anew like those whom death has lost all its power towards. And for those of you who are not Christian, 
God so desperately wants you to know the defeat of death that he has done on your behalf. He wants you to know that its sting and its power can be gone in your life and you can call yourself fortunate and be comforted. He's already done everything to make this possible at the cross. All you need to do is accept as a free gift the work he has done on your behalf and trust it with faith and ask him to come by the spirit and to make that a reality to you. You can do that right now in this moment as we close up. He is eager, he is waiting at the door for you to knock in prayer and ask for him to come into your life. And he is a good father who will answer your prayers and show you what it is like to live without death sting in your life. God bless you this morning. Let's let the story of Troas affect us in the way that God wants it to.